welcome. The Division of Career Pathways launched the following podcast episode in order to educate and support UCI students and alumni with their professional endeavors. Visit our site at career.uci.edu for additional resources. Again, welcome everyone to the Career Discovery Series Marketing and Communications panel. I'm really excited for all of you to be here. My name is Rachel Christensen. I get to be one of the Career Engagement Educators at the Division of Career Pathways. Uh, I've been with the Center for almost three years now, but I've been with UCI for a very long time. Um, long time meaning I'm also an alum. And so, I am joined today with some amazing alumni, as well as my co-moderator, Bianca, who is a fourth year um, that is going to be graduating. Um, she's been with the Vision of Career Pathways as a peer educator um, for the last three years. So uh, she'll be helping me moderate today's um, panel, as well as doing a little bit of Q&A. So with that being said, if you have any questions throughout the presentation, you are more than welcome to put that in the Q&A portion. You'll see a Q&A right in the bottom of your um, webinar screen. And just let us know if you are having any issues as well um, through that if you have technical issues. But with that being said, we're gonna go ahead and get started uh, in today's thing. Let me, I'm gonna do some plugs. We do have three more. Uh, and these are our last career discovery series um, panels. So project management, business careers in healthcare, and psychology there next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But if you missed any of the sessions earlier, maybe you're kind of in between deciding what kind of major or what kind of career, or you're wanting to combine both, um, then uh, most of the sessions, not all of the sessions, but most of the sessions are recorded and you can find that on our website. And then I'm gonna do a shameless plug right now. DCP, the Division of Career Pathways, is also hiring a work-study marketing student. We're looking for someone that has more of that media experience, um, video editing and graphic design, um, but we'll also be doing a lot of the uh, analytics also behind that. You could check that on Handshake. Um, the job number is 4404828. So if you are interested in, uh, you know, getting some experience, uh, this position will be remote. Um, so the application is available until February 22nd. That I'm going to stop my share and go ahead and introduce our lovely panelists, our alumni panelists. So um, we're gonna go ahead and just start. So I'm gonna start with Lindsay. Can you introduce yourself as well as maybe where you are right now um, job-wise and um, what you, when you graduated from UCI? Thank you, Rachel. Hi, everyone. My name's Lindsay. 
I graduated UCI in 2016 with a bachelor's in business administration. I am currently the marketing operations manager at Inari Medical, which is a medical device company in Irvine. I manage a team that focuses on event management, vendor management, inventory management, and overall project management to execute projects to achieve goals and results for the company. Thank you. And we'll go next to John. Hello, everyone. My name is John Skelly. I graduated from Irvine in 2009. Uh, I'm currently in Chicago, Illinois. I've been here for about 10 years. Um, and I am a copywriter at Tej Hanley, which is a men's skincare company, direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. Thank you. Brett? Hey guys, uh, my name is Brett. I am the Associate Director of Marketing and Communications for LMU Loyola Law School. I graduated from UCI in 2009. Uh, I was a political science major. And at the law school, I'm responsible for overseeing all of the internal as well as external and, and marketing communications as it pertains to the, what seems like dozens of different uh, kind of sub-organizations within the law school. There are clinics, there is an admissions office uh, that requires student recruitment, and um, there are, of course, all the faculty that have all of their own communications needs. So, um, yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for being here, Brett. Uh, let's go to Katrina. Hey, uh, my name is Katrina. I graduated UCI um, with biz admin in 2018. So it hasn't been that long. Um, I'm currently a paid social lead at BuzzFeed. And my job is essentially like, I work on advertising campaigns for mostly our entertainment clients um, that come to us to get branded content like through video or posts and my job is to make sure that we get the right amount of views the right amount of eyes and to um, get people to know about whatever it is we're advertising through mostly social media thank you katrina and last but not least andrew Hey guys, I'm Andrew Lemendris. Um, first off, Rachel and Bianca, thanks for um, inviting us um, onto this panel. I think it's it's always a great opportunity to give back um, to UCI. It's been over a decade now. I'm class of 2009. Um, the role that I currently hold is I'm the Vice President of Global Creative Marketing over at IMAX, so not very far from Loyola Marymount um, University. So just, I know you're just up the hill, um, Brett. Um, yeah. My team basically manages, um, I would say, you know, we bring strategy, messaging, um, and initiatives to life through creative. So we run product launches, um, brand campaigns. We also typically, in a normal year, not a pandemic year, launch about 50 plus films, um, film campaigns a year. So that's local documentaries as well as um, large blockbusters um, around the globe. So, um, so very excited to be here. And thank you again for the invitation, Rachel. Wonderful. Thank you all for being here. It's a pleasure to see alumni kind of giving back. Um, I'm going to go straight into a couple questions. Um, and one of them is what 
career path led you to your current position? I'm going to start off with Brett. Oh. Uh, thank you for uh, asking, Rachel. I, I think I have a pretty interesting uh, background, um, one that I, I'm not sure that many other people uh, have. But uh, in college, I was a, a part-time slash full-time swim instructor at Waterworks Aquatics. It's a, a large swim school chain that was founded in Irvine. I had my opportunity to uh, begin teaching there as a sophomore in college when there were probably only about 10 swim instructors in the whole company. Uh, when I graduated from college, it was 2009, so kind of like the height of the Great Recession. And I don't know whether it was just lack of confidence or just unwillingness to uh, branch out, but I just played, played it safe and took a management position at the swim school as my first full-time job after graduating. I became an aquatics director. I helped uh, hire more swim instructors. And in the few years after graduating, Waterworks started to expand all over California, Colorado, and Texas, where we grew to about 30 different locations. Um, I trained and hired uh, aquatics directors, regional aquatics directors, and all the while, since we were kind of a small company still, did a lot of internal communications, whether that was training write-ups or even advertising graphic design for the swim school. Um, I realized about five years into that, I got just burned out on the company and, and took a big step back, uh, a pay cut, a leap of faith to get my foot in the door back at on staff at UC Irvine. So came across a, a marketing coordinator role in at uh, UCI Extension, which it was called at the time, and um, just knew that uh, getting on staff at UCI would open a lot of doors for me. I would learn how a large organization, I think there's how many employees at, at UCI? I think it's the Orange County's second largest employer, right? It's a massive organization. So I wanted experience working in a big company, which I got. And um, I kind of got my foot in the door, ground up in a marketing organization, which is kind of like an internal agency for uh, UCI Division of Continuing Education. So um, started there as a coordinator, got to move into a management role where I had a client in continuing education and uh, practice client management, managing their advertising portfolio and budget for a, a couple years. And then uh, just about a year ago, I found this associate director role at the law school. And I saw that this was a chance to get more responsibility, take on more clients instead of just one portfolio of the business programs at UCI Continuing Education. I now help manage all of the clients at the law school, which are numerous. And we're not just doing student recruitment. Like I said, we're doing public relations for the clinics. We're doing public relations for any of the professors who have media profiles. And um, yeah, we're just, it seems like we're all over the place. So we don't just do one thing, which is something I really like. So yeah, from a swim instructor to a, a marketing director. I like that story. Um, I think yeah. sometimes it's not straightforward, right? Um, getting yeah. into where you wanna go. Um, there's a couple of years where you kind of have to explore as well. Uh, so yeah, at the, at the school, I was going from jumping, literally, I, was, I would like be in the pool for an hour and I might jump onto a computer to work on some graphics where I had a break between a lesson and then I'd actually jump right back into the pool, teach some lessons and then maybe do some more Photoshop work. So yeah, it was kind of fun. <laughs> that, that sounds like a good start at least. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, we'll move on to Katrina next. So I, um, I actually had like my first job ever under Rachel. She, she hired me. Um, I was like a marketing, um, 
intern for the School of Social Sciences back then because I was interested in psychology. And um, from there, like I learned how to just kind of like make the most of each role that you're in. So I was like doing things like revamping the website and whatnot. And then from there, I um, found other internships as a student in the like Irvine area. So I went to um, Western Digital and I started as like a summer intern. And then I was hired in the year as like a, like a um, part-time coordinator <laughs> as a student. And then I also did like an internship at um, the UCI Applied Innovation, like the startup incubator. And like, I just kind of like dabbled in other internships like with ASUCI and like I did I found one when I was studying abroad and they're just all different ways of marketing and I guess like for me it was just more like whatever opportunity was there and I felt kind of like interested in it I would just jump into it um I didn't really know oftentimes like what it would lead to but if I was like remotely interested at all I would just go for it and um, I got to um, BuzzFeed, I think honestly, like it, just, it was just right timing. So I graduated and then I had about like three months um, of just like job searching and I wanted to move to LA and I was just like applying everywhere. And I saw literally like at 9 p.m. one of the companies I was interested in posted a job fair um, that they were selling tickets. and. I literally just bought a ticket and I went by myself and I talked to the job recruiters and I just really got lucky. I found um, a few people that I really connected with at BuzzFeed, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of those networking does pay off and just getting those um, initial starts. I know that's, um, Katrina was one of my students and that's, this is one of her visions since she was a first year. This is what she wanted. And so she had a very clear cut and that's kind of where she went. Um, we're gonna go to Andrew next to answer the same question about you know your career path. Yeah, I mean, I think Brett and Katrina bring up you know a lot of really good points. Brett brought up, you know it's not really a, tra a traditional path and Katrina brought up taking advantage of opportunities. Um, you know, I'm gonna take it way back. You know, I think as a child, I always would, my mom would always drive me by the Disney Animation Studio um, off the 134. And I would always say, you know, what's in there? I wanna be a storyboard artist, right? And, and I think this is just indicative of like, there isn't really a linear path. Um, when I was studying at UCI, I had, I had um, gotten to UCI as a Spanish major. I wanted to switch to psychology. I found it very challenging. So when I stuck to Spanish, I studied abroad for a year. I then added international studies. Um, I graduated same year as Brett and John in, um, after the recession. Um, and I was basically interning at a small agency <clears throat> with about 10 other people who all had masters and like double bachelors. And it was an unpaid internship for six months. So I was doing that for three days out of the five days and then the other two days, I thought I wanted to get into fashion consulting. So I also entered for a fashion consultancy agency. And then I decided, you know, a, 
a lot of people didn't really eat in fashion and I had to eat lunch. So that was kind of like a number one tick. So you, you start to like feel out how you, how you start to like grow in your career. Um, and then I decided to take on the internship and I said, you know what, <clears throat> there's plenty of opportunity here. Um, from three days, I said, why don't we do five days still unpaid for six months? Um, what I would say kept me on was the fact that I knew Spanish. One of their clients happened to be a heavy client within the Spanish market. <clears throat> so I ended up getting hired from my internship. Stayed there, grew, I would say the client portfolio from a million dollars to 15 million in seven years. Um, <clears throat> however, I decided to leave um, even though I had a very good offer to stay and I was offered a vice president role. So my entire thinking was, I didn't want to be a big fish in a small pond. And those are big decisions or crossroads that you will run into. And people ask you, why didn't you stay? Or why didn't you stay if they're planning on selling in a few years? And you just make these personal decisions. And so I decided to move to IMAX to the brand side, which was a step back. Um, and then I've been at IMAX for, I would say, four and a half years now. It'll be five years in June. And I made my, I would say, the role I shifted into wasn't my ideal role. And then I just reimagined it. And then in the course of the four and a half years, I've gone from manager to vice president. So I jumped about five levels. Um, but I mean, I would say it's not about the title. It's not about the money. I think it's really about you know, how you work and, and what makes you happy. And my route is not traditional like Brett's. Like, like I last year I had the opportunity to have dinner at the Disney Animation Studio. Never in my life would I have imagined 25 years ago to say, hey, now I'm gonna have dinner. And you know, things just kind of happen because we happen to work with a lot of studios like Disney and Sony and Paramount and things just start to kind of fall into place. So same, same vein as like, I would say Katrina, like, like opportunities happen and things just happen at the right time. And sometimes you just have to make sure you're ready as a candidate and then things will start to fall into its place. Thank you, Andrew. I love that story. Um, and just knowing that it's not traditional, again, just like Brett, not traditional, but you did have a vision of what you kind of wanted and you took unpaid internship for six months. And that's a really hard decision for some people to take um, if this is something that an industry or a job that they really want to um, really head into. So you had the opportunity and um, stuck up for those different opportunities and networking things that did come up. So thank you for that. Uh, Lindsay, we'll go to you next. Thank you, Rachel. So when I was in high school, I really wanted to go into the medical field because I really wanted to help people, but I found that I really didn't enjoy my science classes. So I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I found that I really enjoyed event planning and vendor management for my clubs and my sports. And then that made me decide, oh, UCI has a business school. Why don't I switch to business and get my MBA in the future? And Four years later after UCI, I had a bunch of internships, bunch of part-time jobs in kind of the marketing operations field. And I graduated, I got offered a full-time job at UCI Summer Session. And after two years, I felt like it was my time to grow into a new 
opportunity. So I took a risk. And as Andrew mentioned, like you, it's, it can be risky, but make the decision for yourself. Like don't let other people make that decision for you. Like there are people telling me, it's like, this is so risky. Why don't you just stay at UCI? But I took a risk and I took a downgrade in a position from marketing coordinator to marketing communications assistant, but I knew that it would be worth the risk to learn more in a new field. So I moved into another medical device company in Irvine, actually, thanks to a UCI friend who, Rachel, you know, his name's Troy Navales. He was a recruiter, so he helped me find that job and learned a lot there. But after a couple months, I found that it was time for me to move on because it was actually a contract job, which is why it was also risky, but I, it was worth it to me. And then I got, I saw this marketing coordinator position at Inari Medical, which is where I currently am at. And I was offered the job and it just blew me away. Like I have never worked at a company like this where it's so fast paced, but it's so new still. So I got to build a lot of the processes for marketing operations and one year later, I got promoted a marketing manager and I now manage three coordinators, which is amazing. Like if you ever get to manage people, like it's one of the best parts of your job to help people grow. And I think that overall, like it was risky, but I was willing to make those risks for myself and it really paid off. And I'm also getting my MBA right now. So that's my story of how I got to where I'm at. Well, congratulations on the MBA and getting in and also just that journey of you, like most of you have been saying you had to take a risk. You had to kind of jump with that leap of faith and uh, just see where, where to go. So thank you for that. And John, if you can tell a little bit about your story. Sure. Yeah. I think I might be a little, my story might differ just a little bit um, from some of these other guys because I really had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. Even as a little child in high school and college, even when I graduated Irvine, I had no, no idea what I wanted to do for a career. Um, and as a few other people on this panel have mentioned, graduated in 2009, which was an excellent time to graduate college. Um, from a job search standpoint, there really was slim pickings. I mean, I remember Andrew and I are actually friends from college. I remember, you know, his days of unpaid internships and the thought made you want to throw up sometimes, you know. Um, but I actually moved back home and with my parents, um, spent a, a year waiting tables and working at Macy's in the retail department, you know, selling men's pants. Um, and it took me a while to figure out, you know, a lot of soul searching to figure out what it was I actually wanted to do. Um, the thing I always really enjoyed throughout life was writing. Um, I was an international studies major as well. And, you know, math was never my thing. Science was never my thing, but I've always had um, somewhat of a passion for expressing myself through the written word. So um, journalism school seemed like the natural step for me. I, I wound up applying to a few different graduate programs and um, I wound up getting in here in Chicago and um, I moved out. Uh, I got a master's in journalism and then moved into the journalism field, actually. I, I was an assistant editor of a magazine, um, a business-to-business -business magazine called American Cranes and Transport, which is nothing glamorous. It's not like Vogue or anything. It's literally a magazine that sells heavy equipment and construction equipment to other people in the industry. But um, 
you know, when you like to do something, you, you find ways to, to make it interesting and make it fun. I mean, I loved writing and I loved writing about cranes. And, you know, my friends to this day kind of make fun of me. They point at different cranes in the city and, you know, what is that? Nine times out of 10, I can kind of, I can call it by the brand name and the make and model. Um, but I actually then switched careers. Um, I moved into a more corporate role with a large commercial real estate firm named Jones Lang LaSalle. And I was working at, as an internal com communications um, specialist. Uh, I then transitioned from that commercial real estate firm to a options clearinghouse, which is like a financial services intermediary doing similar work in corporate communications. Um, but I quickly learned that, you know, being, you know, to use Andrew's phrase, actually the, the opposite of small fish in a big pond really wasn't for me. You know, I kind of I kind of suffered under the uh, the corporate environment, corporate work life balance, felt like it kind of sucked the creativity out of me and I'd always wanted to be more hands on. Um, in the development of, you know, the written materials. So I took a huge a chance. I, I submitted my resume to a startup company named Tish Hanley, which sells skincare products to men, which is the most random thing. You know, I, I'd never used skincare products. I'd never had any interest in skincare products, but they were looking for a copywriter. They didn't have any copywriters. To this day, I'm still the only copywriter at Tish Hanley. And uh, I submitted a few writing samples and they offered me the opportunity to come in. And now I, you know, I write everything from the instructions and ingredients on the back of the product labels to the copy on the website, to email marketing, to Facebook ads, social ads, you name it. I'm the, I'm the one guy writing all the words there. And for me, that, that feels like, you know, a dream job to have so much control and, and influence over the way a brand presents itself. So. Thank you. Um, I heard a lot of different pathways. Uh, to get into marketing communication, it's not straightforward. Some of you knew exactly what you wanted. Some of you kind of fell into it a little bit more. And so uh, I know there's a lot of students out there that are lost or are not 100% sure. And some students that have a very um, good vision of where they wanna go. And so I love the variety that all of you presented. With that being said, can you share with us some of the changes in your work that has happened over the last year due to COVID? And so this is really um, just timely. And if you have any insight, especially for the students who are graduating and may be entering this time where it's still, you know, COVID. So we'll start off with John actually. Sure. Well, I mean, the most obvious change is my office is now my apartment. Um, I, I think, you know, back in the day, it was very much a button seat kind of kind of workforce. I mean, every job I ever had, I never had a work from home day um, the entire time in 10 years. But, you know, overnight, we went from five days a week in the office to, you know, every single day at, at home, um, which was a struggle. But I think fortunately, technology was almost one step ahead of COVID in the fact that we were already video chatting, you know, FaceTime had already become so prominent. Zoom obviously blew up very quickly. I'm on Microsoft Teams with my entire, co my entire company. Um, so the transition to working from home really, it wasn't that much of a struggle, at least not for someone in my capacity where so much of my work is done in Microsoft Word or, you know, um, writing is, is, is can, can kind of be done from anywhere. It's why people do it from coffee shops and all over the place. But um, 
the from a manufacturing standpoint, I mean, my company produces products uh, that have to be manufactured, packaged, and shipped. Um, so, you know, as you may know, manufacturing lines all over the place internationally have been have been affected by COVID, um, and as a result, that that's that really affects the communication um, to active customers, to prospective customers. Um, it kind of changes uh, your mentality a little bit, and you know, you don't you don't overpromise quite as much. You know, if you're not totally sure what you can deliver on. So, um, those have been the biggest challenge or the biggest changes, I would say. But overall. I got to be honest, I'm kind of enjoying the work from home life. Brett, <laughs> do you want to answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mouthed, of course, right? <laughs> like, uh, there's a lot of things that have really been hard about the year and uh, that have created um, remaining uncertainty. Uh, you know, uh, working from home is something that we started to do at UCI right before I left. We got like one day a week. Um, but uh, for me personally, I'm not the most equipped to answer this question because of the timing of my current role. I worked at the law school for about a week and a half before the uh, California stay-at-home orders were implemented. So I was at UCI for about four and a half, almost five years. Uh, my family there. Uh, and then I had to, I, I took my new role where I was really looking forward to meeting everybody and just becoming part of that culture. And unfortunately, like a week and a half in, everybody's just sent home. So I've been working alongside these people and trying to uh, introduce myself and, and allow people to learn about me and, and kind of my personality all while working from home. So that's been really hard. Uh, starting a new job during uh, coronavirus. And I guess that's what a lot of the um, attendees of this panel are going to potentially face is launching their careers from their bedroom. Uh, I think a lot of professional success comes from your body language, your ability to uh, communicate non-verbally and just the way you can interact with people. And so this era is just really changing a, a lot of that. So um, yeah. Uh, for higher education, which is our my my industry, there has just been I think uh, a lot of bloodshed. I read an article recently that 20% of the uh, college administrative staff nationwide have been laid off or furloughed, and there's uncertainty still for the future. So um, every day that I go to work, I have a job. I'm thankful. I have a lot of gratitude, and I uh, stay positive. And um, the communication schedule for recruitment, I, I can't compare it too much to like what it was before coronavirus because I don't have a year under my belt at Loyola before this all happened, but uh, we're doing a lot of email marketing uh, for recruiting JD people. We're doing no more printed scholarship for the law school, meaning like we're not doing these mailers that are just like really dense summaries of the faculty scholarship. We used to mail those to faculty uh, nationwide into their academic offices, but since everybody's home, we actually don't have their mailing addresses for their homes, so uh, we're not influencing that way. Um, and we're just doing so many Zoom events. I think that's actually one thing that has come out of this, as all of these Zoom events have allowed the um, community to reach more people and to uh, expand its regional footprint. Like we're doing an entertainment law symposium next week that we are now able to recruit attendees from, from like Austin, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, and even New York City. Whereas before, if this was symposium was at Loyola Law School, which is in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, like we wouldn't have been able to tap those markets uh, to, uh, you know, share the scholarship that way. So 
Um, yeah, that's one way. I'm answering a question uh, in the chat right now too. Really quick, Rachel, um, for some of these questions, should we kind of hold them to the end if we want to talk about them? It's unrelated yeah, to- If you can try to hold them to the end, we'll, okay. we'll have Bianca kind of cool. um, ask those uh, as well. Um, but with that being cool. said, you're right, Brett, we get to kind of tap into talents that normally wouldn't be able to come into UCI. So we have people yeah. that are in LA right now that, um, Chicago, um, thank you, John. <laughs> You're in a whole yeah. different time. You know, it's what, 6.30 there now? So yeah, it, it, is, it, yeah. it is, it's a it's a new world where we get to tap into more people. And that, that's a, that part is very exciting. I just realized, I didn't even think about this until the moment this panel began. And I've spoken on campus before to other panels and, you know, done similar things, but I'm like missing the people that are part of the panel. Like, where is it? <laughs> where is everybody? I, I actually haven't been a presenter on a Zoom panel before. So I find myself scrolling through the attendees list like, huh, okay, that's who's here. <laughs> it's a really, I, it's a really weird experience, actually. It is different. So, it is different. And that I've, is because of yeah, COVID. I attended many of these. Yeah. yeah. So. We're going to go to Katrina next. Um, so with COVID, it was a very interesting um, situation. Like BuzzFeed is a totally digital company and, you know, like our products are branded videos, branded posts and things like that. But even so, we saw crazy heights, like peaks of like um, amount of viewers and people like visiting the site, like more than ever before. But um, our clients were suffering from the impact of COVID-19. And so it kind of like did a trickle down to us, you know, like just for example, and I think Andrew can speak to this as well, but like working with a lot of the entertainment companies, like the ones that have, you know, in theater releases, like we don't know what to do anymore. Like our our advertising solutions that we offered were no longer good. And um, it kind of like led us to really innovate, innovate and get together and just find new ways to tap into people. So then we saw a lot of differences in like just traditionally offering like posts and videos to live watch parties for a TV show's new premiere. Um, we did more events like pop in Zooms and stuff like that. Um, and then we just, we started to come up with new things such as like data sharing partnerships and just things that offered value to our clients um, that like went beyond um, just real life events and things like that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, thinking about your clients um, I think John also mentioned that you had to kind of rethink um, how you're reaching out to those clients. And I know Andrew probably has a lot to do, especially in the entertainment industry, also how they may have changed. So Andrew, can you talk about the changes because of COVID? Yeah, I would say, you know, it, it's so multifaceted. Um, we actually had more of a heads up, I would say, because we have a China office. So for everyone who, you know, when you do work for a global company, you typically have a China office that's its own entity that's connected to the American-based office. 
um, you basically exchange, you're still the same company, except you function very differently in China. So we actually had a heads up because our China office had been in quarantine for a few months. And then, you know, they would tell us, they're like, yeah, we haven't seen each other for eight weeks. And we didn't really fully understand it. Um, this was probably in January, February. So then we then assembled a task force within the marketing organization to start to mobilize and start to prepare our entire team. So my team at that time was 25. So mobilizing 25 people out of the office into work from home. So it's an entire operation, I would say. Um, so I think in terms of that, there is, there's a physical movement into working from home. Because I work within the creative space, I would say one of the challenges is, you know, you're going from boardrooms into bedrooms. You're going from whiteboards to desktop sharing platforms. You're going from open space environments to, you know, 16 square boxes on a desktop. So it's definitely really, really interesting in that respect. Um, the other layer is, you know, we have to really pivot because what Katrina said is, you know, for us, we're a global company. So we have 1600 plus theaters around the world. We are in 80 plus countries. We work with all of the big studios in local, in um, on the local level, as well as the big studios here. And then also we have over 140 exhibitor partners around the world. So that's AMC's, Regal's, Odeon's, Wanda's in China, CVG in Korea, Toho in Japan. So you're consistently shifting and looking at COVID and going, we can't release this here in Asia because Asia is still closed. But Latin America is doing really bad, so we can't. So a lot of the studios are looking at that. Um, and, and I think the other layer to it is from a cultural standpoint, you know, once you shift from a physical space into a space where you're not in a physical space with your colleagues, it really tests your culture. Like how strong is culture? And I think a lot of people define culture as, you know, what the tech world has positioned it as being your ping pong tables and your lunches and your free lunches, but that's actually not culture. And culture is really you know, defined by the behaviors and values in which your employees and your colleagues hold, the systems that you place, so workflows, how you work with one another, and then how you place that in practice. So I would say that's really tested, right? I wouldn't say my, my team's culture is perfect. Um, and then I would say, you know, the larger scheme of it is, and everyone has probably seen this and experienced this firsthand, is the entire entertainment is, in, industry has been accelerated in terms of the progress it was making from just theatrical into in-home entertainment and how people play in the sandbox as a collective whole, right? A lot of studios have launched their own streaming platforms. There's technology companies like Amazon who have their own streaming platforms. Um, and they're, they've all been building these infrastructures or ecosystems where you go, how does it work? How does streaming work? Who's first? What piece of content? Where does it launch? So for us, because we play a very significant and unique role in the ecosystem, we work with all studios. Um, all those studios have streaming platforms as well. So it's a very interesting sandbox we play in. So I would say for us, it's been very self-reflective as a company. I think it's been a very transformational almost 12 months. And then I think, you know, I'm super excited to see 
how the landscape falls out. I do know everyone's super hungry to be out of the out of the house as long as it's safe and as long as you know the weather permits. But I think it's definitely interesting. It's definitely changed, you know, I would say um, consumer behavior across the board. Yeah, definitely. I could see all of that. And there are multiple layers. And I know before we move on to more the medical side and Lindsay talking about COVID, um, Katrina, I think you had a comment. Yeah, um, a lot of what Andrew was saying, like really resonated with like the changes that we're facing, because like, as Andrew says, it was like a reflective transformation for his industry, my industry that partners so closely with his, we were kind of trying to look ahead and trying to see what our partners were interested in. And some of the questions, it wasn't just like, how do we grow our business? But it was more so thinking, how are people going to change after COVID? Like now that they're getting used to getting all of their videos on demand, like will theaters be the same? Will the experience be different? How can we cater to that? Like questions like that are always very interesting. Thank you, yeah, definitely. And as part of the entertainment and then what Brett was talking about education and John with more of the construction field, there, there's definitely changes, but a lot of it's consumer behavior. I wanted to hear from Lindsay because she's more on the medical side. And as we know, COVID and medical has been booming. Um, in a lot of ways, but how have you seen, Lindsay, um, just changes in uh, what you do and then uh, COVID? Thank you, Rachel. So for my medical device, we remove clots. So the great thing about our product is that we don't use ICU rooms, which is where most COVID patients are. So of course, when COVID first started, there was about a month where it was difficult for us to have our products used, aka sold, because all the hospitals were focusing on just treating COVID patients. But afterwards, like I said, since we don't use ICU beds, a lot of the hospitals began opening up our uh, opening up the opportunity for patients with DVT or PE, which are people who have clot in their body to get treated. So overall, like things have still been moving, like we're still treating patients, we're still saving lives. It's just, sometimes it is challenging because if the hospital is filled with just COVID patients, then we can't treat them. But a lot of our account managers, our sales reps, they're great. They still go to the hospitals to sell the product, talk about the product and be part of the procedures. But aside from that work-wise, we're very lucky. We had to have a single employee laid off. We're still hiring like crazy. We're still growing. So like a lot of my a lot of the folks on the panel had mentioned like we've had a pivot to working from home which has been great in the sense that it's a lot more flexibility and it's my first time working from home but a con because it's sometimes just easy to collaborate when you're face to face with someone and you just miss that cultural bond you have with someone while you like eat lunch or just pass by each other but overall I'm very grateful of where I'm at and I have my company to thank that for ensuring that culture and environment is still built strongly. Thank you. And you really do see the differences. And so for all of you that are out there that attendees, like students, um, you really need to think about, you know, industry because industry does make an impact on consumer behavior and what you're doing. 
and what's going on in this world. And so one of the things you just don't want to say, oh, I want to go in marketing, but what industry also, I want you to all even think about that as you heard, you know, at least four different industries right here, kind of, um, and the different places where they are due to what's been happening worldwide. Um, before I transition into Q&A, I'm going to ask one more question, but if, if the attendees are here and want to um, ask any questions, it could be directed to any of our panelists, could be more broad, um, be sure to add those into the Q&A um, below. Um, and I'll ask one, one last question for all of you, and this will be open, so if you want to answer, you can answer. Um, but what skills do you think are most important for your job and were what were the activities you did during you know your undergrad years um that really helped build those skills so does anyone want to start you could just unmute yourself Lindsay sure so I, I think for any job, the most, the thing that will help you become the most successful is being driven and proactive. So, I mean, if a job's a job, but if you go in every day and just do like your list of things to do, like management or leadership might not notice you. But the thing I've noticed in my career is that people notice is like you do more than that. Like you make suggestions or you just do beyond what you're expected to do so I think that's very important just being driven like I said like some jobs eight to five you go there but if people see you're passionate and driven about supporting the company and supporting others I think that's something that's very important in moving up the chain in your career thank you anyone else John uh yeah I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Was it what skills were we working on? Yeah, what, what skills that... do you feel was really important um, in your job now that you were working on your college years? You may have may sure. not have known you were working on yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah, because I mean, communication, I think, is the most important skill that I use on a daily basis, both internally and externally. And I think, um, especially throughout your college years, my college years, uh, at least, um, mistakes you make communicating are kind of what have really stuck with me, you know, the way you presented things, the way you said things. I mean, I remember being the recruitment chair of, of my fraternity, Andrew and I are fraternity brothers, and, um, you know, just sending emails to the entire chapter and saying things that were stupid and, you know, offending people, whatever, you know, you kind of have to learn from your mistakes even back then i could never have known that in you know when i was 21 years old communicating to a bunch of frat bros that i was going to remember those lessons that i learned and, and actively kind of use some of those things um later on i think communication is is such a whether you're a writer or not the way you write emails the way you communicate with your you know your fellow employees your your, your managers your bosses um it's hugely important i think pe people should pay as much attention as possible to it Go ahead. Yeah, I, I would have to I would have to agree. I kind of put some notes uh, in advance of this that writing is like really big. I didn't realize that uh, just creative writing, journalistic writing, uh, interviewing skills uh, are all really important in marketing and communications roles. Um, even you know, kind of regardless of the 
type of, of marketing role that you are, whether it's like an analyst or a copywriter, um, if you're analyzing data, you're going to want to be able to like analyze that data in a um, concise and understandable format. So um, being able to do that is really important. Uh, I think like getting a good grasp of uh, basic graphic design tools is, is really good. I actually went into college already with Photoshop experience from high school because it was a toy that I'd like to play with in my spare time. And I took commercial art classes in high school. So I was able to actually build upon Photoshop skills through college and then have done so further in my career, which has been really neat. I remember even being like 14 years old, 13 years old, and maybe this was in 2001. And my dad was like upset that I was spending so much time on Photoshop. He like didn't really understand even what I was doing. And like, uh, he's like, why are you like spending time like on this, on this thing on your computer? And you know, now it's like, uh, if you have good design skills, like it just makes, it allows you to save so much time in your work and, and you can communicate with better designers as well. Like if, if you're not going to be the one ultimately doing a, a project, um, it, it helps you communicate. And so, yeah, the Photoshop suite, or excuse me, the Adobe Creative Suite is really important, important to just get a grasp of. Um, uh, Social Science 3A, I don't know if that's still a class, but I, I think that was a web design class back in our undergrad time. <laughs> John is, is laughing, Andrew, they know that one. And uh, we were building websites back then, and I think doing simple Excel tables. Uh, so if there's any courses that you can take for credit that will um, give you some of those analytical tools, uh, just go for it. And uh, yeah, I, I think just like reliability is really important. Um, follow through, taking notes, all things that your professors are trying to get you to pay attention to uh, and implement are going to really uh, benefit you as a professional because most people don't practice those things. So like if you can uh, demonstrate those skills, like you're going to stand out and you're going to be considered a high performer literally because you uh, can remember things that you're asked to do and uh, that you, yeah, just like demonstrate that you're on it. So something to always work on. Thank you, Katrina. Yeah. Um, so for me, I would say that the biggest thing would be curiosity, um, just being open to explore and like figuring out things that you might like, not like and whatnot, and like literally just jumping out. One of the things that I often tell people who reach out um, is that you should be comfortable with being uncomfortable meaning that like if there's something that kind of like that you're interested in and it kind of scares you a little bit like just kind of dabbling it and in, in it a little bit will give you a better idea of what that is if that's something that you would want to um, pursue more or maybe it'll tell you about what you don't like and help you turn into the right direction um and like with that you know like i think adaptability goes hand in hand like being able to um change your strategy when you need to to um, apply all of your learnings and um, just continuously taking the chance to explore um the other thing i would say too is that um you you might think that all of your chances right now will carry so much weight and they do carry weight but you know like things aren't permanent things are bound to change in the next five or ten years so just try it <laughs> thank you 
Yes, Andrew. Yeah, and you know, I, I couldn't agree more with everyone with what everyone has said. I always like to say like, if you want to be in marketing or communications, like you are a unicorn. Like marketing, I don't think a lot of people understand as like a very, very renaissance woman and man role where the more you know, the more that you absorb, the more that you travel, the more that you see, the better a marketeer you become. So it doesn't matter what industry you're in, but you know, a lot, what a lot of people are thinking about is like, you know, unicorn CMOs. CMOs are basically have become the number two, two CEOs. You are culture, you are marketing, you drive sales, you drive design, you drive creativity, you are the heartbeat of an organization. I would say, you know, agility, resilience, um, adaptability, which Katrina mentioned, John and Brett mentioned, you know, you should be the most effective communicator, whether it's through visuals, written form or rhetoric, like those are really, really important. Um, but I would say, you know, in, in college, I think you think it's always one path and mine's pretty messy, I would say. Like, like there's things I've done where like I declined an offer the day of because I felt like I should just invest in the same agency. I declined an offer even before I was hired. And then they said, I want you to come back. And that was at IMAX. And because I feel like you're in the right role, like there isn't really, I think the things that make you unique are the things that you should double down on. So if you're extremely, extremely organized, or if you're a really good writer, or you're a really good, I would say socializer, like there's a role for that because every marketeer is a different, has a different style. So some people rise up the ranks to chief marketing officer from a creative background. Some rise up from a data background. Some rise up from a customer or consumer insights background. So it doesn't matter what angle, it just matters of like what that organization is looking for. And if you're the right CMO, I mean, for Walgreens Alliance, their CMO has four CMOs reporting into him. He just recently shifted, but that's very different. And the stuff he gets to work on is delivery through drones. Like that's a very, very, you go, is that marketing? And you go, it is, and it's not, it's AI or like it's technology, but then you're like, you know, lifting up the customer experience. Marketing is like Renaissance. And I would say it's the unicorn role within any organization. Thank you. I, those are really, tangible skills for everyone to kind of think about and that renaissance man or woman that renaissance person type of uh, role um, you do have to kind of think outside of the box and I think uh, Andrew you mentioned this even before we um, were on the panels you know there's a lot of psychology to it as well um, trying to figure out how people are going to respond and so those are things that maybe you might not have thought about um, going into this field. But I'm going to turn this over now to your questions. Um, and so I'm going to shift over to Bianca. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you to all our panelists. You all have shared such great insight. I'm taking notes. You have shared a lot. So thank you already. And thank you for answering some of the questions in the Q&A already. We're getting a lot of great questions. 
Um, one that I want to start off with is I've seen this question pop up a couple times. Um, and Andrew, you may have some experience with this is the difference between like in house versus an ad agency. And it seems like some students have questions about how you chose that path or what might be some of those differences between um, those two areas of work. Yeah, I mean, I would say anyone who's looking at agency, I would say you're probably really glamorized or glittered by the widening Kennedys and Droga Fives and Shyatt Days, and I've worked with all of them. And I was at that period where I was on the agency side year one, year two, and I said, I want to work for Wyden Kennedy. I want to work for Shyatt Day. I want to work for Deutsch. Like, I did all that. So I interviewed at those places you can become one project manager of 400. I'm not saying it's a bad experience. I think it's still a great experience. I do think the things that you find on the advertising agency side, and also there's multiple agencies, right? There's marketing agencies, there's activation agencies, there's advertising agencies, there's communications agencies. They're all very different. I would say um, on a smaller agency side, you get to touch a lot of things. I touched on project management and account management. I happened to have the opportunity to launch campaigns in Bangkok and Paris and Mexico City. I happened to be able to conduct interviews and produce in Mexico. I happened to have live activations in Paris and London. So like, I, I think agency just, just prepares you for anything thrown at you. Um, and then that taking that and shifting it onto the corporate world where maybe some people may not be as agile when you're like, well, we need to transform as a company because what worked 10 years ago no longer works. If you come from an agency mentality and you're consistently grinding and looking for clients, you're like, let's roll up our sleeves, let's get it done, let's make it happen. And I think that's a difference. It's a bit of a, I always probably compare it to like, if you lived in another state and then that's like the cost of living is a lot less and you move to California, it's a little tough. But if you live, if you came from California, you move to another state, you're like, ah, this is like easy because I've like managed to build a budget based off of X, Y, and Z, right? I feel like you need both. I think you need agency and brand and then you start to feel out what you like because some brands are also much smaller. Like for example, you know, I may run like a 25 person team, but each person plays a very significant role. So no person is the same and they have jurisdiction, they're empowered. I, you know, have them, you know, connect with other creative directors and art directors. And I let them do their thing. So it depends on the culture of each company. So I would say both are really interesting. I think there's also another question like Marcom. I also feel like a lot of titles have been very inflated or they've like really been very specified in them. Like, growth marketing, like that's what you should be doing. Like you're either like a company that's you're growing or you're sustaining. Like there isn't like, yeah, that's what you should be doing marketing or like go to marketing. Yeah, at some phase in marketing, you have to go to market. So, so when you take a look at these titles, you start to go, what does that really mean? Are they just trying to add another layer or are they just trying to make it specific? because it's a marketeer and are you one of 20 marketeers in charge of a phase of the entire marketing life cycle? So those are things that I would take a look at, but I would highly encourage both agency and brand side. Thank you. I think that's really good advice about the diverse experience that you can pick up at an agency and how that might differ from an in-house. Um, 
And I also want to ask another question, kind of combining a couple. I'm seeing some questions about, um, you know, advice that you have for recent graduates. A lot of you mentioned that you graduated during a recession. And so you also have a little bit of experience with that. Um, and then also graduates who might not have experience in marketing, which I know that some of you shared is kind of similar to your journey. So do you all have any advice to recent graduates who are graduating now or maybe have graduated? Um, who might not have that much experience in marketing and are trying to enter into the marketing or communication. Marketing or communication. I'm talking too much, so I'll make it really quick. But uh, I would just say to answer two of the questions that are in there, one would be, uh, is a cover letter make or break? I think like you got to try to do everything that you can to give yourself an advantage in the role. So I wouldn't say it's break if you don't provide a cover letter on your resume, but like, why not, right? You're trying to demonstrate that you're a communicator and a good writer. So the cover letter is a place where you'll, show that you understand what the company's goals and passions and um, you know uh, what they're all about and they're going to also give you an opportunity to talk about yourself so definitely do a cover letter and um, it's a recession right now so maybe you have some time on your hands there are so many free resources out there you just have to google like free online marketing course uh, try to take courses from some of the big platforms like from salesforce from hubspot from marketo from Google, from Facebook, all of these platforms have training that's like free or nearly free. Um, you can also create your own instances or accounts on a lot of the um, enterprise platforms that you're going to be using in your role. So like create an account, just like get comfortable with it, play around in there. Um, maybe like spend a small amount on like a personal sponsored social media campaign, just to like you see how the mechanics of like the, the data looks and uh, just like get busy, like doing the job that you want to do, but just figure out a way to do it before you actually have it. So you can talk about the experiences you have from that. So, um, and I think John mentioned, like, don't be above any role. I, I had felt like I was a failure by not getting a job out of college. Like I was still teaching swim. I was spending time in the pool. My peers all asked me if I was still lifeguarding, you know, years after college, like, are you still lifeguarding? I'm like, not lifeguarding, you know, I, I you know, kind of have a lack of confidence about it, but uh, just, you know, be yourself, just literally five years after college, like this might be really sad to hear right now, but like you're probably only going to stay in touch with a dozen of your close friends. And so those people are going to be close to you. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody else has to say, like just keep your friends close and uh, everybody supports one another no matter what they're doing and then we have a friend who's like doesn't even have a job or a career and we love hanging out with him and we totally respect him and he's a super smart guy so yeah just you know be yourself and just do what you can to get the experience yeah Thanks for sharing, Brett. Yeah, we really appreciate that as a lot of us are navigating like what post-grad may look like and to know that, you know, even if you're taking a little break or doing something non-traditional and figuring things out, that is totally okay. Um, another question that caught my eye was um, someone asked, is the future of marketing more so analytical? And so I'd love to hear your insights on the trends and outlook that you're seeing in the future of marketing, especially after, as we're like maybe heading out of this pandemic, what will marketing look like? I don't mind jumping in real quick. I can I can give a quick answer to that. I, I mean, I don't I don't work in analytics. I'm a copywriter, like I said, but everything I write is um, influenced by the data. Uh, data is kind of king, and 
you know, every time we send an email, we send two emails. It's an A-B test. There's two different subject lines. You're constantly in a perpetual state of testing um, to determine what the most effective communication or messaging is. I think it's the same thing with Facebook ads. You know, we'll develop two or three different videos. Maybe they have the same copy or maybe they have the same imagery, but something about them is different. So I think no matter what um, department you're in, um, be it creative or analytical or, or management or whatever, the data is always going to be king and influence your decision-making. So having understanding of it is important. That being said, like I said, I, I stunk at math. I, I'm, I'm a total liberal arts guy, like science is not my thing, whatever. I rely on those guys who are good at communicating the data to me, much like, like Breadhead had mentioned. So um, I think, uh, you know, data is the future. It's, it's, the, it's the present, honestly, it's the present of marketing and, you know, the future will only be, um, you know, more, more columns and rows on your Excel sheet, probably. I, I, oh, go ahead, Katrina. Are you sure? <laughs> Thank you. Um, sorry. I, um, so I do work in analytics. Um, I actually had an emphasis in marketing and informatics. And a lot of what I do is just totally learned on the job. Um, I would say that, you know, like back jumping off of what John said, like everything is backed by data. Like, it's just like, if you want to make a new decision on a business or anything like that, like show me the data. And so I think it's a very important skill to just like be able to be familiar with it. But that being said, like, you would also have to know, I think, and this is just a more general thing, is just to know how to use it directionally, like figuring out what is useful and what isn't useful. And um, just picking back on this answer to like another question I saw about how like somebody said something like um, what you can do if you don't have like technical experience in something and I think my biggest advice would be that like while you have your UCI email just sign up for everything like sign up for Tableau sign up for Squarespace sign up for all of those subscriptions just try it and like you know when you think about what a hiring manager's goal is it's literally to find someone to fill a role and to do that job and how what's the best way to show that you can do that job it's through the things that you have on your resume, whether that it's like self-started or through a job. Um, and, and then just, just to add to that entire data conversation, I think when, after being a while in, in marketing and advertising, you start to see there's consistent trends that happen. So like even going back to that question earlier, is advertising, um, advertising agency better than brand? There's consistently a swing. Right now, because in-house um, teams are downsizing, they then rely on outside agencies. When the economy boosts up, corporate companies boost their in-house agencies, agencies then trim down. As it relates to data, this was actually a big topic in a conference I was at a few weeks ago, obviously digitally, um, is you know data is super, super important. However, there is a huge you know, discussion around how do we humanize data? And so that's where marketeers come to play, right? Like how do you humanize data? The other thing is everything is connected in terms of what companies and countries do. So another big topic is as the privacy policies become a lot more stricter, 
as consumers have more control over what they choose to opt into versus what they choose not to opt into, the more creativity needs to be infused into advertising and marketing, right? Because now you don't have that data. So now you're, you're, you're starting to go back to out of home. You're starting to get back into how do I engage with consumers without some of this data? So I think, I think data is very important. I think attaching a human being behind that data and understanding, which is why, you know, understanding the larger ecosystem and how everyone connects to one another is so key. And so, you know, I go back, like, if you want to be in, in the world of, of unicorns and renaissance people, then marketing is really for you because it's never a dull moment. It's always exciting. Um, it just depends if that's, if that's the type of lifestyle you'd like to live. I want to quickly just say, like, to add on to everything that Andrew said, I totally, totally see it the same way as, like, working in the publisher um, side, too. And, like, at the end of the day, data is just pixels, right? Like, it is really what you do with it and what story you can tell. Thank you all for that insight. Um, another question that we have in the chat um, is, what are some preconceptions you had about your role um, and what you're doing in marketing and how has that changed or stayed the same over time? So is there anything that's like surprised you about marketing or that you thought that maybe has come true or hasn't? Um. I think maybe I'll, I'll step in. I, I guess I didn't, um, I didn't realize like how specialized that some of the jobs in marketing can be. Um, so I think becoming a marketer, like closer to my later twenties, I never really realized that there was a data scientist that would be part of the marketing team or that um, in a big marketing company, like there'd be people specifically responsible for administering the, like the client customer relationship management software, like whose sole job is to work in Salesforce or in a Marketo or in a Pardot um, coming from a small company where, like I said, at the swim school, there was at one point 10 teachers, we grew to maybe closer to 300 people. It was kind of like, I did everything uh, for communications and marketing and I did customer service, taking calls, things like that. Um, and then going to UCI, yeah, I joined a team of like 25 marketers, you know, all with these different specialized roles. So that was, a, um, yeah, just something that I learned, I guess, to answer the question. And it was kind of a cool experience because that's what I was looking for when I wanted to step into a big enterprise company. It was like, I wanted to see how a large organization is run. So, um, yeah, it's cool. There are a lot of different opportunities in marketing. So don't just think like marketing is like design and creative writing and like, creating compelling prose. Um, there's opportunities for everybody. So if you're like a technical person and you like to work on like little tools and make software flows and flow charts and um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say ju just to add to what Brett said, I think, you know, when I first got into advertising and marketing, I was um, wowed by, you know, launching a large advertising campaign. And I think a lot of people can get caught up on that. I think everyone wants to be 
on the front page of Ad Age, everyone wants to be the wants to come up with the idea of the ocean spray man, et cetera, et cetera. I think when you like really dive into marketing, like marketing is actually very, very high IQ and high EQ. Like you need both in marketing. And I think, you know, all of those big advertising campaigns that you see are actually the output of very, very strong consumer insights and strategy. And they're actually directly linked to the business. There's reasons why there are certain words that are on an advertising campaign. There's a reason why that is going out to public. You know, once you see an advertising campaign out there, that brand has probably been around for a few years or they've been on that initiative for a few years. You're just seeing, I would say, the distillation of a very complex strategy in the most digestible form possible. So I would say, you know, my initial perception of advertising was getting a big advertising campaign out there. And then now I would say it's directly correlated to business. How do you drive the business forward? How do you drive revenue? And also how do you, you know, like marketing and products are there for consumers. Like it's not the other way around. Like consumers weren't weren't we weren't made first or products weren't made first and then consumers came consume we're doing everything for consumers so if your brand if your product is no longer relevant like how do you transform how do you evolve so then you're still relevant to your consumers and if you think about it like we are the consumers so like if you're not excited by it then who's going to be excited about it if you're not excited then make it exciting right and i think that's a part of marketing Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I was just going to add on to something Andrew said. I, I literally just had a conversation before this uh, before this panel with a gentleman in the marketing department, and and he was saying that you know everyone thinks marketing is a sexy big ad campaign. You know, like the marketing is the least sexy. It's the remarketing campaign targeting two percent of users to see if you can you know improve their click through rate or their conversion rate or something like that. Like. There's like this huge sexy glamorous idea of marketing and then there's like all this really hard work below it that's like the core of everything so i just wanted to say that yeah thank you all for sharing that definitely agree with what brett shared about how marketing is can marketing is a very broad term and there are so many things under that that support you know your campaigns and your brands um, and also echoing what Andrew and John said um, about keeping your brand relevant and that it's not just the campaigns that you see, but all of the things underneath as well. Um, um, this might be our last question. Um, a lot of the questions we've kind of answered interchangeably as we're talking, so I think that's great. Um, one question that kind of caught my eye was um, about the work-life balance within the marketing field. And so someone asked about, um, stress levels within marketing what is the work-life balance even maybe like i know andrew you touched upon like the culture of your um company and how has that been affected by the pandemic yeah i i could probably i i, I would say like earlier in my career i would be the friend who always worked so they're like what are you doing i'm working what are you doing i'm working and so i think you know, the, I think there's a lot in marketing that a lot of people may not perceive as work, but it is work, right? Like if you're reading up on culture, if you're reading up on what's happening in the industry, 
Um, I always tell my team, like, you can't really separate work and life. Like, if you don't enjoy your eight to nine to 10 hours of work, then you're actually not enjoying a third or half of your life. So you literally have to enjoy the entire 24 hours, right? I think, I think a lot of it is about setting boundaries and setting controllers. Um, now that everyone, you know, works from home for the time being, for me, I'm like, for my team, like everyone's empowered, like you're empowered to create your own schedule, just make it to meetings. I don't really care if you want to go spin at one o'clock, go spin at one o'clock. Like you can be on a spin bike and on, and on a conference call because oftentimes I'm doing 20 different things. So for me, it's like work-life balance, you know, what we always talk about, my CMO always talks about, it's really, you know, all about harmonizing because it's difficult and each person really has a very different definition of work-life balance. If you had a child or if you're married, like you start to have less and less time for yourself. So you start to be creative with how you use your time. And, and you know, marketing is one of those things where you can have a lot of fun, um, but also you just need to set boundaries. I think it's it, it can be a very challenging industry, but also a very rewarding industry at the same time. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, go ahead, Brett. Yeah, I think it depends on your industry, too. So Andrew, uh, I would say probably works in an industry that uh, leans heavily towards like what he described as it can be like life consuming, you know, the entertainment industry is like super cutthroat, you know, like you're talking about millions, uh, hundreds of million dollar deals. Um, but if you uh, are looking for something where there will be a little bit more work-life balance, like there definitely is a role out there for you. Um, you know, fortunately, I, I benefit from working in higher education. And so generally, there is a little bit more understanding and work-life balance um, in, in higher ed. Um, however, I have to say that that's different different uh university to university believe it or not at lmu i've noticed that it's actually much different rachel uh it, it is a little bit more intense i don't know if it's just because i'm working with attorneys uh 90 of the people i interact with are attorneys but um yeah it, you kind of just have to see what see what the organization that you land in uh how, how they operate and you can ask that in the interview uh it, it's not like a uh it's not taboo to ask like what is expected of me if i receive an email on a Saturday morning, you know, like just throw something out there like that. Um, you might want to get emails on Saturday morning and want to work on the weekend. So, you know, uh, it, it, again, it's just kind of organization to organization. But nowadays, though, uh, I'm seeing that companies are a lot more flexible, like Andrew's saying, like you might, it might be totally fine to go exercise in the middle of the day, but that company may also just understand that you might work at 10 p.m. And, and be sending emails off at 10 p.m. like after you've had dinner or put your kids to sleep. So um, yeah, things are just changing so much. Like people just working at all times of the day and on the weekends too. But it doesn't, it's, it's not quite as bad as if we were going into the office though. Um, I find it more manageable to work sometimes on the weekends because I'm just here all the time. So yeah. And, and, and just to add to what Brett said, like my I run the creative team so like a lot of things we do is like you you discuss something or th something's briefed in then I have my team marinate on it so there's a group within my because I run four different functions project management creatives production operations 
Um, and so like the creatives will marinate on it. And sometimes like, to be honest, you come up with ideas in the shower or when you're on a walk or what. So it's a very different landscape, which we're in. And the more you digest in the creative space, the more you kind of go, ah, there's a connection there. Or, hey, that brand just stole our design vehicle. Like there's a lot of things that happen like that. So you're consistently kind of like eyes open and you marinate on it. So for us, it's almost like your mind is always on, but you may not be physically working on something. And I think that's the one thing in marketing is sometimes you just think about things for a while. Um, and I don't know how this is for you, John, because I know a lot of yours is copywriting, um, but like you think about it and then you then execute. So you may not be sending out emails, but you're still mentally working. So it's a very different way of working, I would say. Oh, yeah, I would completely agree. I think writers are always writing in their head, you know, whether it's ever going to make it to the page or anything like that. And um, I can vouch uh, for the whole exercise thing. I work out at noon, noon to 1 p.m., three or four days a week in the middle of the day. And that is actually one of the places I do the best thinking, the best writing in my head. You know, I come back to work, boom, knock it out. So um, I think it just depends, depends on you. Thank you all for sharing. Um, okay, this is gonna be our final question. I'm seeing a couple of questions in the um, chat about how our attendees can stay connected with you all and keep this conversation going. Um, is there ways that they can stay connected with you? Yeah, I saw a few people asking if they can connect with us on LinkedIn. I mean, feel free, go for it, shoot me a message, I'll gladly accept if you want feedback on your your LinkedIn page, your resume, happy to provide it. Um, you know, here to help, whatever we can do. Yeah, I, I, I would say the same thing. Um, I think entering into marketing, if you're interested in marketing advertising, it's definitely like such a wide breadth of avenues. And I think you can end up getting stuck in your mind and toggled back and forth. And you're like, do I wanna be, a copywriter or do I want to be a designer or do I want to be a data person or do I want to be a campaign lead and I think there isn't like a right answer right you have to kind of test them out and then base it off of your skills and then sometimes you may start off in one area like designing like what Brett was talking about and then you evolve you kind of go okay well now I kind of want to expand so I think LinkedIn as John has said is perfectly um, fine um, more than happy to connect with people especially you know, considering this is uh, my alma mater. Same here. Um, I'm happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn and answer any questions. Um, I actually got my foot into BuzzFeed because I messaged an alumni in the same role and he helped me out a lot. So I'm totally down to um, return the favor. Awesome. Thank you all for sharing and for- I've actually also, one thing to add, I have learned from providing mentorship myself as well. So I love to provide mentorship. I've actually picked things up from mentees that helped me improve my own career as well. So that, I would recommend that even as a graduating senior, if there's a freshman who's uh, you know looking for some sort of mentorship, um, you may learn something from them that you can use in, in, a, in a job interview, you know, like what if you're applying for a company that uh, their target demographic is uh, high school seniors or juniors, like, you know, provide mentorship as well, so.
Yeah. Just one more thing, not not from like a contact standpoint, but um, you know, I know a lot of UCs are considered as theoretical schools, like they're all based off of theory. And I think there's like within like a lot of people kind of go like, well, how do you then apply theory into application? I do have to say, like, as you progress in your career, the theory thinking actually is highly beneficial because rather than approaching it from an executional standpoint, you actually understand higher level complexities in ideas and concepts. And that's where the theory comes in. And so you may not find that in your first initial roles. You're like, ah, it's like really difficult. I don't really have these hard skills. But as you move up in your career, you go, ah, the theory actually starts to click in because you start to like have to prove yourself or prove uh, you know, a value proposition or prove a business case. And you go, ah, now I understand. Like the theory is actually, UCI is teaching you very high level thinking. And then that way you can actually learn everything else. And once you get to that higher level role or that role that has far more responsibility or your output is rather not something tangible or physical, it's actually your thinking. That's where theory actually comes into great place. So I think if you do have other friends who come from schools that aren't theory based, at some point your time will come as well because the theory comes in very handy. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Andrew. You're vo voicing exactly how I feel applying to certain roles and doing internships. Um, I'm going to start closing us out since we want to be cognizant of all of your time. Um, but I just want to thank you all for being here. And did you want to say something? You're unmuted. That's all right. Um, I just want to thank you all for being here and for sharing your experience and um, what it's like being a UCI grad and coming from maybe non-traditional majors into marketing. And um, yeah, it's really empowering. It's really helpful. And I'm sure that all the students on this call also really appreciate it. Thank you also for sharing that you're um, willing to make yourself a resource and um, students can connect with you on LinkedIn. So we truly appreciate it. Thank you for giving us some of your time and thank you to all the students who are here as well. Um, just a note, a reminder for the students that we have three more upcoming CDS panels. So feel free to join us then and this session is also recorded and will be on our website if you want to go back and listen to all the great things that were said um and with that i think i'm going to wrap us up i hope you all have a wonderful evening zot 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 um so much anteater pride thank you so much for all being here today thanks for having us